You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Good day. Well, let's start with John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to John 8 and we'll start at verse 46. John chapter 8, verse 46. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He he who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father, and you dishonour me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if a man keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that if a man keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself... My glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I'm not sure if you heard about the time Einstein was travelling around with his chauffeur. Uh, Einstein was often asked to speak at different uh, events. And uh, this chauffeur had heard him speak so often, one day the chauffeur came up with the idea of, well... Why don't we swap? Why don't I give your talk and you can drive for a change? Einstein thought, well, okay, let's give this a go. So uh, the opportunity came and the chauffeur got up and gave Einstein's talk and it was spot on. He knew it, off by heart, word for word. But what he didn't expect was question and answer time afterwards. Uh, And there was a very smart scientist down the front who asked him a very, very clever question. And uh, the chauffeur thought for a moment, he thought, well, that is a very simple question, so simple, I'm going to ask my chauffeur up the back there to answer it for you. (laughs) Identity. We're going to talk a little bit about identity tonight. Our family loves the Olympics, we love the swimming, we love the athletics, and I love the Kenyan runners. And I don't know if you remember, but at the last Olympics, the Kenyans won a few more gold medals again in the marathons, the men and the women's. And uh, I found myself very proud, again, of being sort of a Kenyan. I mean, this is 20, 30 years later. I grew up in Kenya as an MK. My parents were missionaries there. And even today, there's just something about the Kenyan flag that, I mean, I could sing you the national anthem, but I won't tonight. (laughs) But it's there in my heart. I could sing it. Uh, Yeah, it's a part of who I am. And uh, I remember a time when I was transitioning back into Aussie culture, so back in the late 1980s, 
And uh, I remember a time when I was on my own in Mount Waverley in the little shopping centre there one Saturday night saying to God, God, why do I feel so lonely when there's three million people in this city? And uh, through those years, I can remember reflecting on and, and sharing a bit later with as well about identity crisis. Who, who are we? Who am I? Uh, sure, I'm an Aussie of sorts. I'm a Kenyan of sorts. And now that I've lived uh, in Mauritius for 10 years, what makes me, does that make me a Mauritian having lived there for 10 years? So I've got all these things uh, that make up my identity and who I am. You know, as we were sharing uh, uh, with Muslim people in Mauritius, uh, I was confronted with their uh, response, their understanding of who Jesus is. You know, as Islam spreads around the world, yes, Islam preaches Muhammad, but Islam also preaches a view of Jesus Christ. They have a Christology. They also preach about the other prophets. And so as Islam spreads, so does their view of Jesus. Uh, a question that's very relevant today around the world, of course, is the identity of Muslim people. Is Islam a religion of peace? Are Muslims peaceful people? These sorts of questions. How do we identify Muslim people? Our very personal walk, our identity formation, is greatly impacted by, of course, our family, our cultures, our nations, those religions, and that ultimately also impacts mission, our mission, people's missions. So who are you tonight? Who am I? And who is Jesus Christ? They're our questions for tonight. Now, I don't know if you like drawing in church, but I have a little uh, slide here to inspire you to draw in church. I hope you brought your texters along. You bring your texters along. Your crayons. There we go. So there's Jesus. So you could start drawing Jesus. And that me is not me. That me is you, when I mean me. And as we go through this passage, I just want you to fill in that picture with some concepts and, and things that come out of this passage. So this is your big chance, if you like drawing in church. Fill in the story, fill in the picture with what's coming out of this passage. Uh, John's writing his gospel because he wants people to know about Jesus. He makes the purpose of John's gospel very clear, doesn't he, in John chapter 20, verse 31, where he says, listen, readers, all of you who are reading this gospel, I want you to know the identity of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. We need to believe in him for eternal life. Eternal life for John is salvation. So John is saying that for salvation, Jesus Christ is central. His identity is central for faith, for belief, and for eternal life, for salvation. And we're going to jump into John chapter 8 here. John chapter 8 serves that purpose. It serves the purpose for which John has written his gospel. Now, back in verse 42 through to 47, we haven't read those verses, but Jesus says some really tough things about these Jewish leaders, about their identity. You see, they wanted to kill him already. That's known in, in the, the drama of John's gospel here. They wanted to kill him. So Jesus tells them that their father must not be Abraham because Abraham wouldn't do such things. Understanding who our father is and listening to our father is critical in understanding our identities and who we are. 
Jesus says, therefore, in verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and want to carry out your father's desire. Now, the Jews thought this was ridiculous. How could a fellow Jew even contemplate for a moment that their father was not Abraham? And even worse, to suggest that their father was rather the devil. I mean, this is ridiculous. Jesus here is exposing their true identity, exposing their theology and its failure to answer his claims and teachings about himself. And so it's not surprising that they're not happy. Now, like us, when, when you're debating, you know, ideas, theology or whatever it might be, and things get a little tough, you begin to attack the messenger, the person and the character of the person. You know, debates always end up naturally very personal. That's what's happening here. It moves from theology to ugly personal attacks. The, the tension rises a little as we see in verse 48. They respond by saying, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now we know that the Jews and the Samaritans haven't got along for centuries. Uh, and so to call Jesus a Samaritan was very derogatory. It's even racist. It was a big put-down. Now perhaps news had travelled to these uh, Jewish leaders about Jesus' successful mission to the Samaritans. We read about it in John chapter 4. Remember there where Jesus was speaking love very graciously to this Samaritan woman at the well. And the way he ministered to her, spoke into her heart and life and brought uh, opportunities for healing. And for Jesus to do that, he had to cross centuries of cultural barriers. He had to bring shame upon himself from the Jewish community to go and speak with that woman and also then to go into a Samaritan village. Jews didn't do that. Jewish rabbis didn't do that. And so these Jews, I'm suggesting, back in Jerusalem have heard about Jesus doing this and they've concluded that, well, there's no way these, there's no way these Samaritans would have come to Judaism. So surely Jesus has compromised and he's joined the Samaritans. So there they're saying, you Samaritan. But Jesus recognises this for what it is. They're dishonouring him. And he says that in verse 49, doesn't he? He says, you dishonour me. This is a Greek word, atamizo. It only occurs seven times. It's not too common in the New Testament, but it means to dishonour, to treat shamefully, to insult. In an honour-shame culture, they are publicly shaming Jesus by calling him a Samaritan and demon-possessed. Now, I don't know if you remember this little song from perhaps when you were at primary school. It goes something like, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me, will never hurt you. I was meeting with uh, some MBBs in Mauritius. There was four or five of us, an MBB is a Muslim background believer, and we were reviewing the ministry, how things were going. Uh, and there was one guy there, um, a Christian guy, an MBB, and we were talking about, I was talking about him and his family. I made a few comments as we were kind of wrestling with reaching out to uh, Muslims in, in, that, in that difficult context. And I woke up the next morning to find a text from this man, and the text basically said, that's it. I don't want to do ministry with you again for another year or so. And uh, I, this came as a great shock. I said, well, where did this come from? 
So I prayed about it through the day, and later that day I gave him a call and said, look, we need to catch up, talk about this. And to this day, we haven't been able to unpack whatever I said in, that, in the course of that, that meeting. Now, thankfully, we're, we're serving God together again. God's got us back together again, but still, he won't talk about whatever I said during that meeting. So I've reflected on that a bit, and I thought, obviously, I've said things that have shamed him and his family in that setting, so much so that he wasn't even prepared, even, even in... Even in our Christian relationship, he wasn't prepared to talk about it with me. I made a big mistake in the words that I spoke and the way they hurt my brother. Of course, in our egalitarian Aussie culture, we, we throw things around a little, a little more, don't we? We've got thicker skin, perhaps. Uh, and we certainly don't understand the intricacies of honour-shame cultures. It's something that I'm still learning. If you've grown up in Asia or if you've got an Asian background, uh, you'll understand what I'm talking about when I talk about honour-shame uh, cultures. Of course, Australian culture has honour-shame as, a, as, a, as an element of it, just not as strong or as evident as some other cultures. But regardless, whatever culture we grow up in, things can hurt us deeply when people misunderstand us or don't understand our identity. And the devil, the father of lies, will do whatever, he will use whoever to attack us, to confuse us, to hurt us. He can use our spouse, our husband or our wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend. He can use a colleague at work. He could use anyone, whatever way the devil wants to get in and confuse and hurt and destroy um, so, for example, family members might say to someone, shame on you for following Jesus so seriously. Or the cleverting marketing campaigns that will tell us, you know, you're very special if you use a certain shampoo. Or, you know, you're, you're a bit of an idiot for following that old-time fashion religion about you know, Christianity and so forth. Or you're a bigot if you believe this or that. So we need biblical discernment, don't we, to know when people are lying to us or if the devil's lying through people to us, we need biblical discernment to understand what people are saying about us and also when they're lying about who, the identity of Jesus and why he's come. Now, how does Jesus respond to these lies that are coming to him from the devil through these religious Jewish leaders? You see, there would have been a huge cultural expectation for Jesus to uh, follow these leaders, to conform, to honour the leaders of his day. Remember, Jesus is maybe only 30 years old and, and, and he's addressing and, and dialoguing with these much older men of Judaism. So he's under the pump. And he responds directly. He responds without any doubt. He says, no, I am not demon-possessed. Jesus doesn't crumble under the pressure. He doesn't uh, uh, conform. He resists the temptation to please men, even these political, religious, and powerful men. He doesn't allow them to manipulate his identity and his claims about himself. And remember, again, even under the threat of death. 
Rather, he maintains his position. He declares that his teaching and claims honour his father. Jesus is telling the truth which he has heard from his father. Jesus knows the father and keeps his word. So clearly Jesus' courage, his identity, his theology all comes through his relationship with his father. In his ultimate desire to please and honour the Father, to love the Father, he simply is unable to agree with the Jewish leaders and knowingly lie about himself. Jesus' claims about himself then, they don't come from arrogance. They don't come from some thing, imagination that Jesus has just made up. They certainly, it certainly doesn't come from Samaritanism and it certainly doesn't come from some devilish idea. No, Jesus' identity and what he's claiming about himself simply comes from Jesus being obedient to his Father. So what Jesus is exemplifying for us in our own wrestle, if you like, with who we are, with our own identity, with our human identity, is that it must primarily be rooted in our relationship with the Father through Jesus. Freedom and healing from lies, from pain, from uh, all sorts of things that we go through in life need to come back to Jesus Christ and truth. Jesus has already been teaching about that earlier in the chapter. Earlier in chapter 8, verse 31, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When we consider the wider uh, teaching of John, especially later in John chapter 15, where uh, Jesus teaches about the vine and about us as we come to faith, we're grafted into that vine, we're branches into that vine, our identity changes. We're no longer free agents, as it were, but we're changed, we're transformed, we're, we're now in Christ, Christ in us. And we now have a heavenly Father as our gardener, one who's caring, who's going to care for the vine, guide the vine, prune the, guy, uh, the, the vine, and transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We change. When we come to faith, our identity changes. I heard a few years back uh, a man that was meeting with the leaders of two Sudanese tribes, the Nua tribe and the Dinka tribe. Now, they're essentially Anglican and Presbyterian tribes. And so this Christian man was asking them, look, you're essentially Christians. Why can't you get along? What's the issue here? Now, they both acknowledge, yes, we're Anglican, yes, we're Presbyterian, but in this case... Our tribe, our allegiance to our tribe comes first. And for these leaders of the Dinka and the Nua peoples, their identity in Christ was not sufficient for them to be peaceful with one another. Now, of course, there are brothers and sisters in those tribes whose identities, identities have been transformed and they are praying and working very hard towards peace between those two tribes. Jesus uh, takes this debate a little further. Before we get there, we should ask ourselves, like the leaders of these tribes, I wonder if there's anything in our own lives, in our culture, in our personalities, that's keeping Jesus from being, number one, first. 
Our frame of reference isn't Jesus, it's something else that we identify with that's causing us to live a certain way. It's taking the place of Jesus. Coming to Jesus, Jesus transforms and takes that priority in our identity and who we are. Jesus takes this debate to another level as we come to verse 56. Take a look. You see, he says, uh, they say, um, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus claims here to be the fulfillment of Abraham's joys and hopes. That through Abraham and his promised son Isaac, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now the Jews respond in utter disbelief and astonishment. But you're not even 50 years old. How could you have seen Abraham? And this opens up an opportunity here for Jesus to say something that is going to shock, deeply shock the Jews. And he begins this by a formula in John's gospel that's common, but it's used for emphasis. Uh, and different translations put it a different way. But in the old King James, verily, verily, or I tell you the truth. I tell you, something's coming here, so wake up, listen. He says, before Abraham was... I am. Now, of course, those of you who have studied John's gospel know what Jesus is claiming here. In fact, Jesus and John use this I am in three ways in John. <clears throat> Firstly, seven times he uses it with a predicate. So you'll remember uh, earlier in the gospel, John says, Jesus says that I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the gate. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the true vine. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Incredible claims that Jesus has been making right through this gospel. The second way he uses it, he uses it with an implied predicate. So, for example, when he's talking with the woman at the well, he makes a self-disclosure, which he hasn't made yet to any Jews, but he does it with this Samaritan woman who's blessed to hear Jesus say, I am he. Or, I am the one. And thirdly, just here, just this one place in all of the Gospels, just here in John's Gospel, he says, I am in an absolute form. In Greek, it's ego amy, and it reflects something back in Exodus chapter 3. Those of you who studied this passage will know that in Exodus chapter 3, um, uh, God is talking to Moses and saying to Moses, I am who I am is the name that you need to tell the Israelites when you go back to Egypt to say who, whom the one is that has sent Moses there to set them free. There's some other places in Isaiah as well. So if Jesus is speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, did Jesus refer to himself right here as Yahweh, pronouncing the most sacred of divine expressions of God, that... Jews normally would not dare speak. And certainly even more shocking was here Jesus is claiming to be more than the Messiah. He's claiming to be a divine Messiah. No, I'm not demon-possessed. No, I'm not promoting myself. I will tell you who my Father God thinks I am. I am Yahweh. Now the Jews are shocked. They're in a frenzy now. Because their emotions are running high, knowing exactly what Jesus has just said. 
And their father, the devil, the one of lies, interprets this claim as a lie and thus blasphemy. And so in their outrage, they pick up stones ready to kill him. Now, stoning was allowed as a means of capital punishment, but only after a fair hearing, after a court case, after witnesses. But what we have here is a devilish mob violence in response to Jesus. Now, John tells us that remarkably, Jesus escapes. And it is, it's a miracle. We don't know how, we're not given the details, but we know also from the rest of John's gospel that Jesus' time had not yet come. It wouldn't be long until they do get him and he's put on a cross. But at this moment, the time has not yet come. Now, as Jesus flees these stones that are in these angry men's hands, woe to those who have rejected this Jesus with hearts of stone. And we might add the prayer tonight, Lord God, have mercy on us that we would have, ho- we'd have softened hearts, change our hard hearts of stone, soften our hearts that we might receive this Jesus for who he is. As Yahweh, as God incarnate, coming and has come, the one who has come in grace and in truth. I don't know how your drawings are going. Have you been filling in your little drawings? How's your note-taking going? I just want to wrap up a few things as we conclude tonight. Firstly, to honour God. We must accept what God the Father says about the identity of his son, Jesus, as the Messiah, the Son of God, the divine I am. To reject Jesus is to dishonour God, to shame God. Secondly, Jesus is not a yes man. He hasn't come to earth just to say yes to everyone and please everyone. His close walk and relationship with God the Father gives him strength, it gives him courage to say no when truth is at stake. Even when it means public shame, humiliation and... Of course, more intensely, Jesus is willing for the sake of truth to be put on trial and to suffer a cruel Roman crucifixion in total humiliation. Uh, You know that today the persecuted church around the world is suffering because there are men and women and children today who are saying yes to Jesus and they're saying no to the world religions around them, to their other family members. So they're suffering shame. Their family tells them, Shame on you for following Jesus. Very painful words. They're thrown out of homes, verbally, physically, and some of them suffer violent violence as well. Some of uh, the Mauritian brothers and sisters that we uh, got to know and to love, this is a part of their testimony. And sure, people in Australia too, in different ways, have felt rejection from their family, shame from their family, because they've decided to identify with Jesus and say no to other religions and worldviews. Jesus said to his disciples, if they do this to me, to me, reject and hate me, they will certainly do it to you. So in order to remain strong in discerning what is truth, what is lies, we must remain very close to Jesus. 
in the true vine, allowing the Father gardener to prune and to guide and to inform us. And if you're a young person, you're still working out who you are, you're, you're, in, you're, you're forming your identity of who you are, discovering who you are and the way God's created you and gifted you, I encourage you tonight, while you're going through school, while you're going through university, to journey that walk of self-discovery in who you are with Jesus. Walk that journey with Jesus. Stay close to Jesus in that journey, sharing with him the process of understanding who we are and allow him, Jesus, to speak into your life, to transform your life by faith, by prayer, by obedience to the word of God and what Jesus says to us in and through that. Allow Jesus to shape our identity. Thirdly, as we take this Jesus in mission, as we take this Jesus out into a pluralistic world, yes, we do so peacefully. Yes, we do so in love, motivated by love, motivated by the gospel. But we still must declare this Jesus as hard as it is at times. And to summarize, I have three U's for us tonight about Jesus. Jesus is unique. We've heard that before. A lot of religions actually think there's something special about Jesus. He's unique. But we need to add two more use, don't we? Jesus is universal. Now, you might remember from John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, they're actually talking about spiritual things. And he says to the Samaritan woman, actually, salvation doesn't come from Samaritanism, salvation comes through the Jews. And later when the villagers, the Samaritan villagers say, yes, Jesus, we believe in you and follow you, do you know what they declare? They don't say Samaritanism is the way, no. They turn their back on Samaritanism and they say, Jesus, you are the saviour of the world. Jesus is universal in the sense that he needs to be known by people for salvation. Other religions and other worldviews need the Jesus that we have. And thirdly, Jesus is ultimate. Uh, that is, he is supreme over all gods, over all spiritualities, over anything the devil might concoct in some magic spell and in someone's imagination. At the end of the day, Jesus will reign supreme. He is ultimate. He is almighty. Jesus is Yahweh. So this is the Jesus we need to take in our mission. Unique, universal, and ultimate. So as we take this message, we go in love. We're willing to associate with people we may not normally associate with. Taking this Jesus, just like Jesus went cross-cultural barriers, uh, brought shame upon himself to speak with the Samaritan and the Samaritan villages. This incarnate I am centers a Jewish man willing to identify and associate with all humanity. So we can say, yes, incarnational ministry, contextual ministry, yes, but syncretism, that is the blending of religions, no. I've got a few books that I've enjoyed reading, and I encourage the same, just to help us think along some of 
these ideas that we've been sharing with. The first one's by Nabil Qureshi, answering jihad. If some of you have done some reading about Islam, you've probably come across Nabil Qureshi. But this book's very good in answering the question, is Islam a religion of peace? Uh, he grew up in America as a Muslim, but came to Christ and has had to answer this question. Uh, he does a, a really good job. If uh, you're interested in reaching Asians, then understanding honour and shame is very important. Something I'm learning about. This book's hot off the press. I've read another book by this author, but not this book. Uh, but I encourage that if that's something that might encourage you in ministering uh, to Asians. The third book there is Stealing from a Child. That wrestles with the issue of gender and gender identity. And I strongly encourage that uh, book as well, especially in our current climate in Australia and around the world. And fourthly, Third Culture Kids is a book that's been out for 30-odd years, and it wrestles with uh, missionaries and MKs and TCKs and just anyone that's moving between cultures and, and, and so forth, transitioning, and deals with issues of identity in that regard. Uh, recommend that for good reading uh, as well. Let's continue to equip ourselves as we take this Jesus into other cultures and other worldviews. And it's just great, isn't it, to even hear uh, today about what's happening in Greece as they're going into homes and villages and sharing God's word, taking the Bibles into homes. Praise God. And as other uh, people from this church are in Central Australia sharing with Aboriginal people and others as this church goes out, let us as a church persevere in this mission of taking Jesus to other people. Praise God for what God is doing. As we uh, share with refugees, as we share with atheists, those who, who amongst us, we all have friends and family in this Aussie culture that, that are convinced that God doesn't even exist. How do we engage with atheists? New ages and spiritual people that have all sorts of ideas, spiritual ideas and yet still haven't found the centre of all spiritualities, Jesus Christ, as we've been just sharing, taking the gospel to New Age people as well. Let's persevere in that. Let's be encouraged in that. Uh, let's go into new places, perhaps that we haven't been before, or let us continue in what God has already given to us, going, praying, encouraging, whatever God's called us to. You know, uh, Abraham here looks forward to the day of Jesus and was glad. The Masonic age is an age of hope. It's a an age of love. It's an age of peace. And brothers and sisters, that's the age that we live in. What we're experiencing here is something that Abraham was looking forward to. Now, it's not it in all its fullness, but it's something of what Abraham's looking forward to. And as we allow the gospel to impact our hearts and our lives, then things change. Our identities change. We become more like Christ. Homes are changed. And those homes joined with other homes become communities of faith. They become churches. Churches impact our nations. And we see the work of the Messiah changing and impacting people's hearts and lives. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. This is the day that we live in. Now. So let us, in response to this passage, grasp something of the joy and the hope of the gospel that it can and it is impacting people's hearts and lives. Let us continue to pray and, in our mission, take this hope, this joy, 
are with us as we take Jesus into people's homes and lives. Why don't we bow together and just commit ourselves to this Jesus who is unique, universal and ultimate. Father God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, for sending something of yourself, Yahweh, in our midst. And Lord, I pray for each one of us here tonight that we would grasp the great significance of what you have done in your incarnation, that you have come in the flesh to be amongst us. Lord, this is who you are, Lord Jesus. Help us to believe this. Help this to change uh, the way and who we are as you minister to our own identities as human beings in whatever journeys we have been on and whatever journey you have for us into the future. Lord, we thank you that you walk with us, you guide us, you lead us. So we cling on to you uh, this evening, Jesus, and we pray that we would have the strength and the courage as your Holy Spirit works in our hearts and lives and in our identities to live for you, Jesus, to glorify you and to take this Jesus out into the world. Thank you that you've gone before us, that there are others like those in the Samaritan village who are waiting for the gospel, lost in darkness. And when they hear the gospel and as your spirit works in their lives, they say, yes, Jesus. And they're willing to sacrifice all sorts of things and to take on shame in their decision to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. So encourage us this evening in whatever it is that you have for us uh, for this week and in the days ahead. We pray these things in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.